Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. I almost hate to use the word educational. Charles Staley. Phil Stevens. I guess I'm kind of the, uh, the dark force here. And Rob Fortress Fortney. But there really is no secret. Thanks for listening. Iron Radio is brought to you in part by www.bingcolorprint.com. Business cards, flyers, banners, postcards, DVD packages, and more can be found there. Occasionally you'll see Phil make a comment on our Iron Radio listeners page. That's not spam. That might be something that you can save at bingcolorprint.com. Thanks. Welcome, ironradio.org listeners. This is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and I just want to make a quick note. The audio quality on this episode is not the best. We are moving to Skype. So we had enough comments from enough people that I think we're going to go ahead and lose the live aspect. We've always wanted to hang on to that. Uh, with the conference call software we are using. We're getting rid of that, and we're just going to go to uh, a record at 2 o'clock on Thursdays like we always do. It just won't be live. You can wait till 3 o'clock, I guess, or 4 o'clock when we get everything sort of post-produced and all set and done on Skype. So next week or the week after, look for much higher audio quality across the board, and please excuse the audio quality on this episode. Thanks a lot. Okay, welcome ironradio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm a nutrition professor and an exercise physiology professor, and I'm a bodybuilding enthusiast. Absolutely. Um, guys, I'm Robert Fortress Fortney, um, former editor at Muscle Mag International, uh, former competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. And I guess, guys, we have to say this is probably our Halloween episode, so Phil, you, you might want to queue up some, I don't know, wolf cries or something. Oh, uh, hey, I didn't even think about that. I can, <laughs> now, now you caught me. Yeah. You caught me sir. off. Guard here, but uh, there you go. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Uh, this, is, this is Phil Stevens, um, strength coach, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, showman, competitor, and founder of LiftForHope.org. Um, jeez, Rob. Okay, um, on the show today we got Dave Whitley. Um, Dave's a professional performing all-time strongman, um, master RKC instructor, CKFMS and owner of Nashville Kettlebell. It can be found at NashvilleKettlebell.com or the Iron Taper, DaveWhitley.com. Uh, Dave, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Happy Halloween. I love there that word. Love it. <laughs> I'll try and add it in five, six more times today. Um, yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll do the whole, the whole show just in zombie language. I'll be like, ah. There you go. <laughs> Boom. You guys, yeah, yeah, you guys can just interpret whatever I'm going to say. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I became familiar with Dave when I when I bought his DVD that came out, um, Lessons of Old Time Strongman, and just had to get him on the show, so I called him up. We'll get into some of that here in a little bit, but let's let's talk about you, Dave. Um, how did how did you get your start? I mean, you talk a lot about the lineage of strength, and then you mentioned a few influential people, but uh, how how did you get your start in all this? Well, um, if you want to go back to the very beginning, I was a kid, and I was fat, and I had a stutter, and I hated Book Report Day, and The Incredible Hulk started coming on TV, and I saw Lou Ferrigno and realized that that was a, a human being with paint, and that it was possible for somebody to to become big and strong like a comic book guy, that it wasn't just fantasy. Um, that's the very beginning of it. Um, the more recent beginnings of it is in about uh, 2002, I started playing around with kettlebells um, after being kind of a traditional 
body part, bodybuilding style gym enthusiast. And um, <clears throat> that sort of started me on a journey backwards in time. And I wound up uh, finding out more and more about guys like Arthur Saxon and um, Herman Gerner and Sigmund Breitbart, Sig Klein, all these sorts of guys um, through getting into kettlebells and kind of just researching the the history of stuff and trying to figure out how these guys got to be so freaking strong and uh along the way i did a few interviews for a website um that i you know for a product i was selling on a website with some uh the stronger people that i had gotten to meet one of whom was dennis rogers and so dennis rogers turned me on to the whole idea of uh the old time performing strong men bending steel tearing phone books decks of cards all of that sort of stuff. So that's the the very short version. When I was a kid, I wanted to be the Hulk, and um, I think I've come about as close as humanly possible to doing that so far. I mean, I think it's pretty neat. You, you, like I said, you talk a lot about the lineage and, you know, the importance of knowing the footsteps we walk in. And across the board, I don't care if you're talking strength or art or anything else, it seems people always look at the, the end, and they mm-hmm. never want to go back and, and look at how and who got there, <laughs> you know? yeah. and that's that's a lot of where it comes from. And people just want to skip steps, you know, B through X, and go right from A to Z. But uh, well, there's uh, that, and then there's there's also people that will look at the end end result and think that 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 is the beginning. You know, think that uh, something like swinging a kettlebell is something new, and it's yeah. not. I mean, I've I've got a copy of a. Uh, one of Alan Calvert's books that was published in 1924, and he spends several paragraphs talking about the kettlebell swing being uh, one of the fundamental exercises that you do to attain super strength. And and the the book is actually Super Strength by Alan Calvert, and he you know he talks about how it uh, it teaches the ability to move the the legs and the back in conjunction with each other ballistically he talks about how it it's it's good for timing and bracing yourself when you're you're moving with a load so there's nothing new with any of this stuff and anybody who presents it as being new is just being disrespectful in my opinion or ignorant that that it is in fact not not nothing new yeah yeah but you know you you mentioned some of those names that you did earlier like Sig mm-hmm. Klein and all these types of guys and you know, it's it's. I mean, that's going back a lot of decades, um, and these are, of course, big names to guys like us. But it, it's amazing to me how um, a lot of young guys, like twenty-year-old guys, I mean, they, they're they're ignorant to even guys that existed like fifteen, twenty years ago in mm-hmm. the realm of you know muscle building and muscle weight training and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, there are guys that think that uh, Dorian Yates is old school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's no disrespect to Dorian. I love Dorian yeah. Yates. Um, for for his accomplishments and stuff, but you know he was the beginning of the new era in a lot of ways. I think you know of the of the freaky comic book looking um, bodybuilder. And so when people talk about a guy like Dorian or a guy like Lee Haney or even Arnold being old school, um, that's just it. Just shows how young they are and, and how how little they've been around it. Yeah, but you know I find a lot of young people um, seem to. I mean maybe it's just my perception because I'm not you know, 20 years old anymore, but they seem less inclined than my generation, I'm 40, to actually being interested in the, the kind of guys that you're talking about. You know, it's like they don't care if, if, if these people existed more than 10 years ago. It's kind of like, you know, out of the realm of their interest, which I, which I think is very sad because, you know, you don't you want the legacy of these guys to, to continue, you know. 
you have to kind of know where you've been to know where you're going kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I I agree with you on that. I I think that uh I'm 40 as well. I'll be 41 next month, but uh I feel like I'm going to sit around this whole this whole show and talk about these kids today don't know anything. Um because <laughs> I, I I really do think that it's it it may have a lot to do with the availability of information, you know, with the internet now you can just go click a button and find out whatever you want to find out um or waste time in new and unusual ways but um you know if if you're the same age as me you probably remember having to go to the library and actually pull one of those things called a book off a shelf to look things oh, yeah. up and Micro- know something <laughs> for sure <laughs> yeah absolutely so, um, i think maybe um i think maybe since the information is so readily available people don't value it as much if, if that makes any sense, you know, if it's... That's if absolutely, because I'm a huge music guy, too, and I've always said the same thing about music in the, in the kind of the contemporary age. It's, there's so much availability and so much of it that people no longer appreciate it because people could just get it for free, download whatever they want. So I think you're definitely on to something with that. I think there's just so much that people just don't appreciate it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, kind of move on here. I want to touch on, I know you've seen and been around a lot of big, strong people. Um, what are some of the most impressive feats of strength across the board you've seen? That I've seen personally? Yeah. Um, from people who are alive now, uh, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen was Dennis Rogers stood about four feet away from me and bent a quarter into a, a shape like a taco shell. <laughs> wow. Um, and that's that's one of those things that everybody can identify with how almost literally impossible it is. I don't know anybody else that could do that. Um, and he did it with his hands. So, you know, it, it's not like he uh, he did it with a pair of pliers or he, you know, um, even even did it with his teeth or anything like that. He, he held onto it with his fingers and did that, which is one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen anybody do. Yeah. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, Slim the Hammer Man, who um, I got to go hang out and spend some time with uh, just a, about a month ago. He's 76 years old, and he's still stronger at what he does than anybody else on the planet. Um, I've seen him bend some things that weren't ever meant to be bent. And um, <laughs> um, levering up uh, with one hand from the ground, levering a sledgehammer that weighs uh, 23 pounds, which... Let me let me explain a little bit about what what levering from the ground is. If you laid the, the hammer down on the ground, um, so that the handle and the head were both on the ground, and you got down in a kneeling position and held on to the to the butt end of the hammer as far away from the handle as you can get, and you keep the end of the hammer on the ground, and just using your wrist strength, you raise the hammer up until it's uh, vertical. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah. A twenty-three yeah, pound you, hammer. When you explained it, I was like, "Okay, now I get it. Yeah, that, that's yeah. pretty. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough stuff. I mean, I'm I, I enjoy levering hammers, and um, the heaviest hammer that I've got is sixteen pounds. And to think that that's you know another six or seven pounds on top of that. And I know yeah. that when he was in his in his prime between his forties and fifties, he was doing heavier stuff than that, um, up around the thirty pound mark. So. Um, Pretty insane stuff. How about with yourself, you know, from all the different things you've done, from RKC to Strongman, this and that, what's kind of uh, been your... Um, I don't know, what's the hardest thing for you to accomplish? Or the, the hardest thing for me to accomplish is uh, 
getting my day going without a cup of coffee. <laughs> no, the uh, um, most most of the stuff that I do is, uh, um, for lack of a better term, pretty standard strongman stuff. Um, I, I scroll pieces of steel. I bend nails. You know, short short steel stuff. Tear phone books. Tear decks of cards. That sort of stuff. Um, and that stuff kind of goes in. Uh, goes in phases, you know, I'll get really, really enamored of a particular feat and kind of get consumed by working on that particular feat for a few months and, you know, achieve a certain level of success with it and then something shiny will come along, so I'll move on to something else. Um, <laughs> lately, my thing, since I went to see Slim last month, has been levering the hammer. And um, so um, I've been working a lot with that. Um, I got, just a couple days ago, I got nine reps consecutively with my right hand with that 16-pound hammer, so I feel pretty good about that. Um, one of the feats that I've been working on and continuing to polish is a, um, it's it's not it's not anything new, and I'm not, not trying to act like I invented anything, but it's a combination feat of a couple of different things that, that uh, I put together, um, and I haven't seen anybody else do it, but I've seen people do the components of it, just not put together in the way that I do it. And it's what I do is, is I take a um, take a kettlebell, and with my left hand, I lie down flat on my back and, and get into position and roll up and do a Turkish get-up with it. When I get to that half-kneeling position right before I stand up for the get-up, I lever a sledgehammer the same way I described earlier and then stand up with it. And with uh, left arm locked out overhead with a kettlebell and right arm extended out to the side crucifix style, I um, lower the hammer down, touch my nose, take it back up, and then take the whole thing back down to the ground the same way I came up, which <laughs> I, which the, the levering the hammer kind of you know pays tribute to all of the old strong men, um, particularly Dennis Rogers and, and Slim the Hammer Man and the Mighty Adam, because that's kind of, those are the, the big three for me in terms of the the classic feats of strength, and then I wouldn't know what a Turkish getup was if it wasn't for the RKC. So you know, it's like all of these influences come together in the same feat. So it's it's very much a an expression of who I am as a strength guy, and um, I think it's an interesting looking feat. And I'm continuing to work on it and finding ways to polish it, make it look better, and of course to make it more difficult. You know, going heavier with the weight and and all that. Sort Do you have of some stuff. of this stuff documented on YouTube? Um, yeah, there's, there's on my YouTube channel is Dave Whitley. It's, it's written as all one word. And, okay. um, so I've got some, uh, a few feats on there. Um, the public debut of that, uh, that hammer get up, I did that, um, when we were filming the Lessons of the Old Time Strongman DVD. Yeah. So it's on there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I look at that now and we filmed that back in May and I had just gotten comfortable enough with doing it to do it in front of people and, and, um, the weights that I use on that DVD were, um, one, what was available, which wasn't very heavy, and two, um, I've practiced it a lot in the past six months or so, so it, uh, um, I'm better at it now than I am on the video. I'm using more weight, and it looks better to me. So it's one of those things that, you know, at the time, I'm I'm pretty proud of it, but then looking back on it, you're like, oh, look at that cute little boy lifting those weights, you know. <laughs> and you say that, I actually watched that on the TV. Um, uh, what, what do you got? Anything new coming up? Seminars, workshops, shows, anything? Um, I am in a little over a week. 
leaving to go to California for the uh, we're having a, a two-day um, event out there. Uh, Pavel, Doc, uh, Dr. Mark Ching, and Mark Toomey and myself are teaching a two-day thing in Ventura called Hard Style Ventura. Uh, Pavel and Mark Toomey are going to do some body weight stuff and uh, um, some uh, strength training without equipment type stuff when I say body weight stuff. And uh, Doc Ching is going to do some stuff with the get-up, and I'm going to do some uh, some more stuff with the get up and more into the uh the same material that's on the DVD the lessons of the old time strongman stuff so I'm just going to dig a little deeper into that and then from LA I fly to Sydney and I'm teaching for 3 days in Australia and uh then I get back and it's Thanksgiving <laughs> and then I've got one more um got one more workshop scheduled here in Nashville in December and then I'm done for the year as far as travel people find all that on your uh website I take it yeah, yeah. Either, either on my website or on my blog. Gotcha. Um, so again, Dave, tell us a little bit about how you incorporate, um, you know, maybe more traditional weight training with with um, these specific, you know, feats that you do uh, work towards. How do you uh, incorporate all this stuff together? Um, well, I find that uh, um, a good deadlift, a good strong deadlift, has a lot of carryover to just about everything. Um, when I was uh when I was putting together the the material for that DVD I was uh um reading a bunch of different stuff and I was um reading uh what's the name of the book Anatomy Trains at the time and there's a quote in Anatomy Trains from a guy named Feldenkrais who has this method of body work and and that's about all I know about it I don't know Feldenkrais's first name I know that it has something to do with some sort of body work or movement or something and so I apologize for being ignorant to the Feldenkrais method, but the quote from Feldenkrais was um it was it was talking about the connection between the emotions and the physical state and it said that all negative human emotion is physically expressed as flexion. And if you think about that, if you get injured or if you get emotionally hurt or sad or angry or whatever, you go kind of into a ball, into the into this flexion on, um, you know, depending on what the emotion is, you may wind up sobbing on the floor in fetal position or you know, if you get kicked in the balls, that's definitely a negative thing. You know, you wind up all curled up like that. Yeah. So um, that that really resonated with me and made a lot of sense. So I thought, well, if that's true, then the opposite, of course, has to be true. So if all negative human emotion is expressed physically as flexion, then the purest form of human joy physically expressed is a heavy deadlift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and because it's... <laughs> Uh, and and when you think about it, what makes you feel better than picking some big heavy ass weight up off the ground? Not much. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so, so um, resident deadlift champion. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm a big fan of the deadlift. I think it has a lot of carryover in, um, particularly if you do it without straps and do a double overhand grip, or if you do a double overhand with a thick bar, um, you can get a really heavy grip emphasis. It teaches you to move under a load very well and it uh also teaches you how to generate tension like the ability to 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 pull a heavy deadlift is the same kind of application of strength as bending a horseshoe or bending a difficult piece of steel uh, the only difference being um the leverages and the the individualized technique but the ability to generate that kind of tension and to to focus all of your energy into that one thing with maximal body tension um including the grip 
is a very similar skill. So there's a lot of carryover between deadlifting and any of these feats of strength that I do. Um, That's very Other stuff that I do, uh, I'm a big fan of, of taking stuff and putting it overhead as well. I think that overhead lifting um, to the 20-year-olds who don't know who Arthur Saxon is is a lost dying art and I'm you know I, I've kind of made it my personal jihad to to bring back one arm overhead lifting as much as I can you know you, well, you know you talk- Lonnie, uh, Lonnie you've spoken a lot over the years of just how um you know referencing like some of the scenes in pumping iron with like Lou Ferrigno doing standing military presses and stuff how much of a basic and triumphant um you know dynamic move it is just to and in combination of what you're saying, Dave, just, you know, A, picking something off the floor, which is the most mm-hmm. basic thing you can do, and then B, pushing it over your head. I mean, there's just, there's a very triumphant feeling about doing that, you know, in any manner. It's, it's oh, yeah. victory pose, isn't it? Of course. Yeah. I love so, that stuff. I, it, it, to me, it seems like people just look for an excuse to do overhead presses, like when I just look across the gym, from Everywhere except out in the middle of the floor, you know, at least when I look at sort of fitness studio kind of thing, bodybuilding kind of stuff, I always gravitate over to just some uprights and load the bar and walk out with it and just, you Mm -hmm. know, I mean, I'm not using weights like you guys are, but there's something that's just somehow more virile about just pushing a weight up and down over your head instead of sitting down with it or, uh, you know, snuggling into a machine. That's not okay with me. Well, yeah, I agree with you completely, and you know, no, no disrespect to anybody who's involved in any sort of exercise, because you know, I'm, I'm glad everybody's doing what they're doing. But my sure. personal take on machines is, throughout all of human history, we have invented machines for one purpose, and that's to make our lives easier. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Isn't yeah. it kind of strange that you need some five thousand dollar machine to isolate the lateral aspect of your biceps <laughs> while you're sitting down? <laughs> And doing strength and conditioning work, which by definition should involve at least some element of effort, <laughs> and hopefully coordination, coordinated yeah. bodily effort, you know, which is going back to the deadlift and the overhead press. Those are like the, the, the two purest things that you can do. For, and, you know, you, you pick it up and you put it over your head. Um, that's work. That's, you know, physical expression of strength. You know, and and nobody talks about what their their one rep max on the pec deck is because nobody cares. But if I tell you that Arthur Saxon picked up a 370 pound barbell and put it over his head with one hand, or if I tell you Herman Garner deadlifted 727 pounds with one hand, um, suddenly you start to understand how strong these guys were, and yeah, and start to wonder where exactly things got lost. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people are just um, would be stunned with. That's why I'm, I've always maintained that, like certainly in the, in the realm of powerlifting and stuff, like um, in in these other strength sports as well. I mean, I don't think the performance, the actual physical performance, has actually increased as much as people think. I mean, just because you know the biggest bench was you know 600 pounds. 25, 30 years ago, and now it's like, you know, 1,200 pounds or something stupid. Mm-hmm. That's more, more to use your definition or word, Dave, this is more of an expression of, of the, of the uh, maybe the drugs and the equipment um, mm-hmm. and the manipul- manipulation of leverages and so forth than it is the actual, you know, increase of human performance, you know, to do that. Yeah. Yeah, you were talking about music earlier. If you go back and listen to, you know, 
Johnny Cash or or Buddy Guy or somebody like that, or or you know even further back, and somebody like Robert Johnson or or you know somebody from way back before technology existed like it now it is now. That music affects people on a more visceral level than um, you know Lady Gaga does, right? Because it's not all electronic. So it's it's it and and, and I I used to play guitar for a living, so I, I the music parallel is very very easy for me to make. Um, so yeah, for me it's all about expression, and if I can express myself by bending a nail or picking up something heavy over my head, then uh, then that's great. And you know, it, it, I don't have a problem with with guys doing any of the stuff that they're doing in the sports, um, but I do think, like we started out talking about on the, in this conversation, it's important to realize where the roots are, and it's important to realize who did what and why we're doing what we're doing now, or why we're not doing what we're not doing now. You know. Well, it seems to me the guys who really kind of um, become something are the ones who eventually come back to ground zero. Um, I mean, I can certainly only, you know, talk for myself, but the longer I train, the more I find myself constantly, um, consciously trying to kind of reroute myself back to the beginning, you know what I mean, Uh and kind of Uh go back to where I was because... You know, the meat and potatoes are, are are where you have to be, and you have to, you know, uh, focus yourself intensely on that. And it, it's very easy, you know, the more experience and the more kind of, you know, information you glean to kind of, you know, want to kind of constantly make things more and more difficult and complex, when in actuality, you just kind of want to keep going back to the zeros, you know? You just pick up the weight and put it back down where it was already sitting. <laughs> Repeat until <laughs> exactly. You know? uh, I think this is actually a pretty good uh, segue right into the topic of the day, so I'm going to go hit that. Right, let's do it, man. Like I said, I think that was a good segue, trying to, you know, Rob mentioning, you know, coming back to the basics, this and that. Um, one of the things Dave mentioned, you mentioned in the DVD, was that, that great Ralph Waldo Emerson quote about, you know, there's many methods but few principles, and the man who grasps mm-hmm. the, the principles is the one that will go far. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, you wanted to find that for the audience, you know, what you were talking about, you know, the, what the principles are and, and what we're talking about here? Yeah, sure. Um I uh I'll butcher the quote if I try to do it from memory, but I've got it written down somewhere here. So um I'll just mumble incoherently while I'm looking for it. <laughs> For the best sports nutrition information on the planet, make plans to attend the 8th Annual ISSN Conference and Expo, June 23rd to 25th, 2011, at the Westin Las Vegas Hotel, Casino, and Spa. We'll have the latest on creatine, beta-alanine, protein, nutrient timing, and much, much more. So, for more information, go to www.theissn.org. Um, actually, not finding the quote, but... That's okay. Um, the, the idea being that um, there's methods and there are principles. And the principles are the things that don't change. And the methods should reflect those principles. And if you if you have someone, and this applies not just to strength, but to pretty much anything. If you bounce from method to method to method, you, you're halfway doing a lot of different things and never really getting anything done. Um, if you adhere to the principles, you can choose whichever methods suit the principles. 
and make constant, steady progress. And so um, realizing that, that it can be very confusing to look at the way someone like an Olympic lifter trains now and um, is able to put a massive amount of weight over his head and then go back and look at how someone like Arthur Saxon or Herman Gurner trained and you know we've evolved a lot and things are radically different in in terms of you know how we approach exercise because we're all scientific and smart now but uh if you look at all the different methods that is, have existed between then and now it can be very daunting and it, again going back to information overload on the inter, on the uh, internet if you want to go on the internet and find out how to get strong um just about anybody who's on there um that has a do rag and an affliction t-shirt has some advice on on the best way to <laughs> to get strong, right? And so there's yeah. all these different methods and, and you can just wind up you know, rotting your brain out collecting various different methods. And so I realized that if I just went back and kind of looked through history and found what everybody that got real strong was doing that was the same, then that's the truth. Everything else is method. And the things that they're doing that are the same are the principles. And um I was shocked when I when I kind of started categorizing it and realizing that there's only two different master principles is what I call them. And that may not be the 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 most appropriate term, but you know what, it's my DVD, so I'll call it whatever I feel like. Um it I call them master principles because everything else that I was able to come up with fits into one of these two categories. And the first one is practice. And that's a very broad term, that's why it's a master principle. But if you want to get better at doing pull-ups, then you need to practice pull-ups. If you want to get better at deadlifting, then you need to practice deadlifting. That means honing your technique. That means having someone coach you on what's the you know the optimal foot position or the you know any of the stuff that has to do with technical aspect or finding your own particular groove for your body leverages. You know. And and the same thing's true for bending steel or tearing phone books. You have to you have to find the particular way of doing it that best suits your body and then practice that. And that sounds so simple, but it goes over so many people's heads because oh, yeah. everybody wants to go down to the to the grocery store and buy this month's issue of muscle and fiction and do whatever those guys are doing. And if you ever notice it's all the same routine. I think Charles has said that before, right? <laughs> That, uh, that it all kind of turns out to be the same thing. But um, the first thing you have to do is figure out what you want to do and then practice that thing. If you want to get better at shooting a bow and arrow, uh, no amount of playing Xbox is going to make you better at it. You have to practice shooting a bow and arrow. And the same thing's true of strength. Strength is a skill. That's, that's one of the things that resonated early on with me from Pavel, is that strength is a skill that you need to practice. And that was the the big thing that got me away from the idea of training to failure all the time and all of the stuff that goes along with that because um, if you're going to learn how to type, do you type until you start to get sloppy and then you stop or preferably type until you don't start to get sloppy and stop before it ever even comes up on you? Or do you type until you can't move your fingers again and then come back seven days later and try to type some more, hoping that somehow you type better? Um, that gets lost because we're lifting things. The, the idea of practicing that skill gets lost. And, and you know, it, it, it's true of martial artists. 
you know, you can go in and, and kick a bag 500 times and have 30 of them be good kicks, or you can go in and kick 30 real good times, and you'll still be able to walk the next day and kick more the next day. So the idea of practice, it's a very broad thing, but that was the first master principle. And um, I call it honing the skill of strength. Um, it's it's um, trying to make each rep that you do of whatever you're doing. And for me, it, it means, you know, bent pressing or bending steel or any of that sort of stuff. Um, swinging a kettlebell, doing a get-up. A get-up is a brilliant, brilliant exercise for illustrating this principle. Um, trying to make each successive rep better than the rep that preceded it. Because if if I tell you to go out and do 50 push-ups, then your mind is, is stuck on doing 50 push-ups. But if I tell you to do as many perfect push-ups as you can do, that might be four or it might be 75, yeah. depending on what your level of conditioning is and how good you are at push-ups. So the idea being quality reps, quality, 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 and try to improve that quality with every single rep. And if you do that, you will never get floppy, ever. Because you've already decided ahead of time that you're going to get better, not worse. Um, the second thing that goes along with it, the second master principle, is progressive overload. You know, everybody knows the story about Milo and the bull. Milo goes out and he picks up the calf, walks around with it every day, and um, the calf did what calves do. It grew into a bull. And so every day he gets, you know, a little bit bigger, and every day Milo gets a little bit stronger. Um, there's a very good illustration of this in the book... Uh, the biography about the mighty Adam. Um, when uh, the mighty Adam ran away and joined the circus, there was a strong man and wrestler named Belenko who took the Adam under his wing and um, taught him how to breathe. And um, using what is apparently some sort of a yogic or qigong type practices, they don't really describe it in terms of technique or method, but they do talk about um, breathing. And you know, I'm I'm a big fan of breathing. I'm 100% convinced that it's the most important thing any of us will do today in our lives. And if we're not doing that, then nothing else really matters. Um, but uh, the Adam was, was out in the circus with uh, Valenko, and Valenko had him do a breathing exercise, and when he got to where he could do the movements, there were some arm movements involved. It involved uh, taking his arms overhead kind of in a circular type motion is the way it's described in the book. I don't know anything beyond that as far as what the specific technique was. But um, then Valenko gives him a bucket to hold in each hand. And the Adam struggles through, you know, because he's a weak, sickly little child of about 14 or so. And um, the next day, Valenko throws a handful of sand into each bucket. And he does this every day for like a year and a half. And by the time he gets to the end of his journey with Valenko, he's got two full buckets of sand that are very heavy compared to what he started out with but the the increase was almost imperceptible because he took such tiny little increments in it um marty gallagher calls it creeping incrementalism i'm a big fan of that um but there's you have to incorporate some form of progressive overload now if you're a, a a runner then that might mean run faster or run farther rather than putting on a weighted vest and running which i think is probably a pretty stupid idea but anything that we do to improve performance, particularly as regards strength, we need to practice that thing, and then we need to do some sort of progressive overload with it. Um, do it well, and then do it more. 
to kind of, you know, distill it down into a few words. Yeah, and I think one of the great things that that you said about the progressive overload, too, and I, I'm, you're seeing it more and more now, and I think you see it. I know I'm doing it myself, and you're seeing it from guys that have been in the game 20, 30 years. Uh, when we start young, we're all about kicking our own butts and just doing whatever it takes, and then we, like 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 we were talking about earlier, you end up coming back to the basics, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are preaching now, just start lighter than you think you should when you know you can. And just slowly progress, and you're going to get somewhere. Um, Absolutely. And there's a big resurgence in that. You know, like Tim Wendler's 531, stuff like that. You know, he'll tell you, I'm stronger than I ever was now, and I'm doing things totally different. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It uh, It's one of those things that, and I agree with you completely, and I've been guilty of it myself. And, and in my in my business, I have people who come to me, and they don't feel like they got a good workout if they're not sore the next day. And I tell them, your emotions are utterly irrelevant to your progress and in my approach to programming. If you just want to get sore, I will hit you with a stick. We'll call it <laughs> Right. It'll save us both a lot of time, and you'll probably make just about as much progress if, if that's what you're focusing on. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, it, uh, if, if you start thinking about progressive overload, you know, you don't have to get sore. And if you're if you're doing practice, you probably won't get sore because if you're going to stop before you get sloppy, generally you're going to stop before you get fatigued to the point that it's going to cause any kind of soreness. Um, with me and my own practice, I will uh, I'll I'll have a little bit of pain sometimes. Um, usually it's it's from from the hardness of the steel when I'm when I'm doing bending and stuff, you know. So I have to. You know, I might get a bruise on my palm or something like that, or 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 my my skin might get a little raw on my hand in a in a spot if I'm doing a new feed or something like that. But certainly nothing like like where I can't get out of bed any, in in the morning and and I'm gauging the you know how well my workout went by how difficult it is for me to walk a flight of steps or anything like that. But um, with the progressive overload, um, you can kind of break it down and. and into into various different things that are important methods, if you will, or or sub principles that, that go along with that. And uh, you, you nailed it when you said start light, start too light. You know, it, it, everybody wants it, it. It strength training should not be a four to twelve week endeavor. Yeah. And I think that that when we get past about thirty seven years old, it's easy for us to start to realize that. Do I still want to be doing this when I'm fifty five or sixty? And if the answer is yes. Then I don't have to get it all done today, you know. Yeah. Um, I just wrote an article about the same thing, and it was kind of inspired by Jim and out at Mark Rifko's place. And you know, one of them, Jim, one of the great quotes was like, "You know, screw eight weeks to this or ten weeks to that." He's like, "I'm in this for life." <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. not. I'm not. What do you like, like? You said, and was, okay, what are you going to do after eight weeks? Turn back into a fat slob? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I was so, I was talking to Dan John not too long ago, and he said that uh, somebody gave him the nickname along the way that he's he's day ninety one guy. After that ninety days, what do you do then? Well, you come see me. Yeah, because it's ninety days to ripped whatever, and uh, yeah. you know that just doesn't happen. But um, you know, if you want to talk about progressive overload and you want to talk about getting strong, um, there's a few things that, that that again, it looks to me like everybody through history has done some variation on. Uh, the first thing they do is they work with big multi-joint movements, squats, deadlifts, presses, pull-ups, things like that. You don't really see a whole lot of guys who got big and strong doing one-arm preacher curls 
early on. Now, you know, you take the guys who who are huge bodybuilders and they're they're working on these the the fine detail stuff. Sure, those guys are big and strong and they're doing one arm preacher curls. They didn't get twenty inch arms with those. They got twenty inch arms doing bent over rows and bench presses and dips. You know, so. Primarily working with big multi-joint movements is something that everybody needs to do if they want to get strong. I mean, it, 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 people look at the icing and, and they don't see the cake on those guys, I think. you know. And if, if you don't believe me, anybody that's listening doesn't believe me, work up to where you can do about 10 pull-ups with a 100-pound strapped around your waist and let me know what your arms look like. I, I promise you, you'll have guns with two Zs. Um, yeah. You said it earlier, starting out light. It gets missed. Um, if you start out too light, it gives you plenty of room to grow and time to practice that technique. Because if it's too heavy, you kind of go into panic mode and you go for quantity, not quality, of the rep. You know, you get you get just stuck on, I've got to lift this weight, rather than I've got to do this rep as, as perfectly as possible. So everybody thinks they're advanced, you know. And but just because you got three thousand posts on some internet forum somewhere and you're still living in your mom's basement, and you're seventeenth, that does not make you an advanced lifter. It just doesn't. Exactly. I mean, one I like um, to use, you know, if you got a hurdle to go over, is it better to start right at the hurdle or to get back and get a running start? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> that's that's one that I haven't ever used, but I'll be I'll be stealing that um, analogy for sure. Um, and then and then the other thing we were talk we talked about a little bit already. Um, progress slowly. You know, everybody wants to add. 100 pounds of their deadlift in eight weeks or 60 pounds of their bench, their bench press in eight weeks. But, you know, what have you done in the past year? And, you know, the stronger you get, the less those jumps are going to be. You know, it's easy for somebody who who's in their first year to add 100 pounds to their deadlift. But you take a guy like, you know, Donnie Thompson, if if he adds five pounds to his deadlift in a in a competition, then he's pleased. Of course, he's deadlifting 900 pounds to begin with, so it's all relative. But um, you know, and uh, if if you're if you're doing deadlifts with 315 for five sets of five right now today, hush, girl, my dog is letting me know the mail's running. Sorry about that. Um, it adds into the Halloween theme. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I got live effects. But like, if you're deadlifting for five sets of five with say 315, and you add five pounds a month, that doesn't sound like much. But in four years, you're pulling five sets of five with 550, and to me, that's approaching full-grown man status. You know, that's that's serious. Um, the other one is track your progress. Everybody wants to progress. Nobody talks. You know, I, I get this a lot with my my clients who come to me for fat loss. They're like I've tried everything, and nothing works. What'd you have for breakfast last Wednesday? I don't know. Then you haven't tried everything because you're not writing down what you ate. You know my 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 bench press is stalled. Well, what's your what's your 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 best set of three last week? What you know? It, so it it yeah. it gets into one of those things where people either aren't tracking progress at all, or they're not tracking in meaningful ways. And I think that there are a few different things that you can you can track that are meaningful. I don't think the one rep max is as important as a lot of people think that it is, unless you're in a sport that involves you lifting a one rep max, like powerlifting, Olympic lifting, um, if your three rep max goes up or your five rep max goes up, then you got stronger, even if you never tested your one rep max. So you know, it, it doesn't really matter what you're measuring in terms of 
of weight or intensity, what matters is that you measure it consistently. Because if you pull 315 for five reps today, and then next week you pull 600 for a single, did you get stronger? I don't know. Because it's you're not comparing the same thing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, you know, this is this goes to what I say to a lot of guys who are like, you know, purest bodybuilders and stuff. And, you know, you, you talk about strength and so forth, and so many of them, you know, lose the, 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 the as you say, the principles. And they mm-hmm. say it's it's all relative to what you're doing. I mean, because, you know, they'll, they'll make arguments like, well, I'm not a power lifter, so I don't care what I can bench press for one and stuff. And it's like, but, but it's all relative. I mean, mm-hmm. you can compare your, your relative strength gain, which, of course, is going to be, Completely mirrored by and reflected by your physique in yep. any kind of range that you want. I mean, if you're squatting 315 for you know eight this year, and next year you're doing the exact same you know reps with 365 with the same quality of repage. I mean, it, it, it defies. I defy anybody to, to tell me different that you're gonna your your physique is gonna reflect that. You know, yeah, so it, it it's specific to what you're doing. I mean, it doesn't always strength doesn't always have to be discussed in terms of one rep max. So I, I completely know what you're saying, and I agree with 100%. Yeah. Now, now we, we say that, but of course there is only one true scientific definition of strength, and that is something that you can do that I cannot do. <laughs> if you can do something yeah. I can't do, then you're strong. Yeah. <laughs> but if I can do it, then you're not, you know. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I, I think it's important to track progress in, in meaningful ways. You know, you, you can certainly track how much weight's on the bar, but that's that's only one thing. You can track density. I'm a big fan of that. You know, if I do if I do 20 reps of something and it takes me 15 minutes this week, and then a month from now I do 20 reps with the same amount of weight and it only takes me eight minutes, then something got better. Yeah. You know, or if in 15 minutes I'm doing 40 reps instead of 20, something got better. I'm a big fan of that. Um, you know, density, volume. Um, if if I can do 10 quality reps today, and then in a month I'm able to do 20 quality reps, regardless of time frame, I just increased overall volume, weight stayed yeah. the same, then something good happened there. Something got better. So um, I just encourage people not to get get tied up to the one rep max. As a, and that's a wonderful way to just increase overall intensity, too. I've always yeah. said, you know, if I can get the same volume, uh, you know, the workload accomplished in, in smaller increments of time, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you've got to have multi, you know, more than one way to progress because, I mean, you can't just always slap even another quarter pound on the bar. <laughs> You're going to run out. So it's, you know, doing it for two singles instead of one single or, you know, like you said, breaking the density down into to less time, this and that. And, uh, but, you know, again, you got to then compare apples to apples. I mean, yes. Yeah. So. Let's touch on one more thing before we let you go. Uh, you mentioned one of the things that's not used enough now is isometrics. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, <laughs> big fan of isometrics. Um, probably the the guy who, in the old days, um, developed it um, or was most famous for, for developing isometric stuff and, and, and um, kind of being public with it, is a guy named Alexander Zass, whose uh, stage name was uh, either the Great Samson or the Mighty Samson, some some variation on that. Um, and he developed it sort of by accident, is my understanding of it. And, I, and I'm, I'm not an expert on this guy, so I may be blurring some of the facts somewhere along the way. But if I do, um, I apologize to anyone who 
who can come back and prove me wrong or, or correct me. I, I accept those corrections because that's, that's an important thing, I think. But um, Zass was uh, alive in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, around in that period of time. And if I'm not mistaken, he was Polish. And he was in Europe, and um, I think he was a Jew. I'm not sure, but I think he was Jewish. And so, you know, early 1900s, Europe being Jewish, not the most hospitable environment in the world. So um, he got arrested several times and was was locked away in jail and um, used this this, uh, opportunity working with these isometrics to um, eventually be able to break out of jail by bending the bars. He would just do isometric work on those bars and eventually he pulled them apart and and later on as as, uh, as things got better for him he realized that he could break chains and and uh you know bend metal and there's there's some youtube clips of him um if you search alexander zass um mighty samson or the great samson something like that on youtube there's a there's an old like newsreel footage of him uh breaking chains and coiling up steel and taking body shots from these guys. They just walk up and punch him in the stomach, and he just kind of stands there and says it tickles or something like that. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, again, nothing new going on here. Isometrics a long time ago. I first heard about isometrics probably because of Bruce Lee. And, again, Bruce Lee seems very old school to us now because that was 30-something years ago. But uh, um, really it's not. You know, he was taking stuff that he had picked up along the way and, and absorbing what's useful and discarding what he didn't find useful. And uh, um, so I, I first heard about it probably from uh, from Bruce Lee back in the day. Dennis Rogers, who taught me just about everything I know about bending steel, um, is a huge proponent of isometrics, of, of taking a piece of steel that you can't bend and getting it in a position um that is the same as you would be using to bend something of a similar size and working isometrics in there for three to five reps that last five to ten seconds in each position. And I've I've used this after he talked to me about it, and it's it's amazing how much improvement you can make and how quickly you can make it. Um, I think it's because isometrics teach us how to exert a maximum effort or generate maximum amount of tension in a very safe environment, you know the the the, the thing that you're you're pressing against isn't going to move, or the, the the thing that you're trying to bend isn't going to move. So you can figure out where that place is in your brain that lets you unload everything that you've got into it. Um, it it develops a tremendous amount of power and tension at the point of effort. So if, if you have that sticking point in your range of motion for whatever exercise or drill that you're doing or whatever feat you're trying to do, if you do isometrics at that sticking point, it makes the sticking point stronger. Um, and because there's such a, a sustained contraction, there's a, a tremendous um, mental concentration and tie together for the for the 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 mind and the ability to generate force. Um, a mind-body connection. I hate using that phrase, but it really is. It's it's uh, increasing that mental concentration and kind of focusing, blocking everything else out. And by focus, I think I think focus is a is a misunderstood word sometimes too. It doesn't mean magnify. It means remove distraction, or at least in in my brain, you know. Um, so I think isometrics can 
can are a very valuable tool for teaching all that stuff. And to go back and talk about the mighty Adam again, he uh, when he was in his travels with Falenko, he wound up in uh, India, and they met the uh, the wrestler Gama. Some people may be familiar with him that are listening. I don't know if you guys know who I'm talking about or not, but he was a a very famous Indian wrestler um, back in the early 1900s or so. And um, when they had a Met Gama, he he saw him at a match, and he he uh, was outsized. And just to look at him, he was physically outmatched by this opponent. And the Adam just knew that the Gama was about to get get his butt handed to him. And uh, when the guys the the, the the two wrestlers actually tied up, Gama just threw him over and over and over again. The guy couldn't do anything with him. And so afterwards, Mighty Adam's talking to Gama, and he says, I don't understand. This guy was so much bigger than you, and um, but you're throwing him all over the place like he's a child. And Gama says, says you want to know how that how I did that? And Adam's like, yeah. So he says, okay, when I was a child, I would go out in the backyard, and we had a tree, and I would tie my belt around this tree, and I would try to throw it. And I did this every day for 20 years. Now, you know, this may be embellished or whatever, but it's a good story. But he would go out and he would try to throw this tree. So what he's describing is that he would put his belt around this tree and get in position to do this particular throw and exert this isometric force against it. Um, So the Adam says, did you ever succeed? And he says, no, I never threw the tree. But after pulling on a tree, throwing a man is very easy. (laughs) Right. So that that just kind of illustrates that point of going and and doing the isometric work in your sticking point, and you know scientifically what you're doing. My understanding of it anyway is that you're increasing the the neural output in that particular spot in the range of motion, and you're you're making that neural pathway stronger so that you're getting a stronger muscular contraction there. Which that's all strength is, right? Wonderful. No, that's good info. Um, we're about out of time here, so I just want to thank you for coming, Dave. I want to mention your websites again, um, NashvilleKettlebell.com and IronTamerDaveWhitley.com, if I think I have it correct. Uh, just uh, IronTamer.com will take you there. Okay, IronTamerDaveWhitley.com. Less, less for people to remember, just IronTamer.com. There you go. Um, check out his YouTube channel. Get out to one of those workshops if you're on Australia. I know we got some listeners there. Yeah. Uh, check them out. So. I very um, much nice. uh, having you on, Dave. This has been a great show, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. If I can make one little shameless pitch here, um, if you go to the website, you go to the YouTube stuff, and and you you like what you see, please go to Dave Draper's site, DaveDraper.com, and pick up the DVDs. And um, if you're interested in having me come and do a show for your event, then I'm available for that. Um, I I'm booking myself into 2011 right now. Um, I've got about an hour long show that I do. There's some motivational speaking involved with it, and mind over matter and all that fun stuff but uh i don't like to to hard sell that but i do like to mention it when i'm on a show like this so oh, yeah. it, uh, you know people know i can personally attest to the dvd it's a great dvd that's why i called and had dave come on i mean he sends a lot of things and like he says throws out trash to the audience so it's uh <laughs> it's pretty neat and then just packages good information so um thanks for coming everybody have a happy halloween all right appreciate happy halloween. halloween happy halloween everybody cool guys Hey, Iron Radio listeners, this is John Mike. I just wanted to tell you about the American Society of Exercise Physiologists is pleased to announce the 2011 National Meeting on September 22nd, 23rd, and 24th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
This will actually be the fourth time the National Conference has been held here in Albuquerque. This three-day event will be held at the Radisson Hotel and Water Park, New Mexico Sports and Wellness, and the University of New Mexico, and partly hosted by the Exercise Science Program here at the University of New Mexico. Go to www.ascp.org to learn more about this exciting conference. Thanks so much. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like Iron Radio, if you like what we do, uh, the education, interviewing uh, industry personalities, or many of the pro bodybuilders or coaches that we've had in the past, uh, please just click on the donate button at www.ironradio.org and make a donation. We've had some great donations from people that have kept us going. Thank you so much. Uh, so please visit uh, the website, click on the donation button, or if you like, uh, and it's a similar situation, Buy some Iron Radio cool stuff. We've got T-shirts and mugs and things like that, and those things help support the site and keep us on the air. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need. 